Welcome to Lead with Less, the podcast for confident professionals with me, your host, Tash Peterson, Certified Leadership and Mindset Coach. This is the podcast for confident professionals that will help you move through overwhelm, burnout and self-doubt by sharing actionable strategies and practical steps that can have an immediate impact for you. With a mix of solo and guest episodes, I will share everything I've learned and applied over the last decade that has enabled me to create an extremely successful HR career and since then a profitable and thriving coaching business, all while blending it with everyday life and motherhood. I've also coached and empowered over 150 clients through one-on-one coaching and group programs to transform their lives and careers using these strategies. They now confidently thrive as their best selves and now I want you to have access to all of the goods too. This is the perfect spot if you're new to your career, a seasoned professional or aspiring into a people leadership role and want to lead with less so you can live and work with more confidence, clarity and energy. Hello, hello. Welcome to another guest episode and wowee. This one is jam-packed. If you love data, this episode is for you. This episode is with Professor Jared Ha. I was very nervous <laughs> to record this episode. Jared was my one of my lecturers at university, at the University of Waikato. He ran the paper Business Research Methods, one of my favorite papers, one of my favorite lecturers. And when you hear him speak, his passion, his charisma, his purpose really shines through. And so I'm really excited to bring this episode to you, talking about the actual true definition of burnout and the impact that it is really having on people, organizations, and the workforce as a whole. So this is a jam-packed episode in so many ways. And initially, we were going to talk more about psychological safety, but as we talked and things unfolded, we actually really focused the conversation on burnout and the impact that psychological safety has on the increase of burnout. And I think that this is a really important conversation. I'm glad that it actually steered its way here because burnout is one of the key things that I work with clients on. And it's one of the key things that, as Jared talks about in the episode, we don't necessarily have the ability to fully self-diagnose. We don't have the ability to fully be able to see the truth of whether burnout is on our doorstep or not. So I'm really hoping that this episode highlights some of that and hopefully shines a light on whether there is some attention needed for you. So I'm going to introduce Jared and then we are going to jump into the episode. Dr. Jared Haar is Dean's Chair and Professor of Management and Multi Business at Massey University, New Zealand. He has multi tribal affiliations of Ngati Manapoto and Ngati Mahuata. He researches employees and organizations, especially Maori, including the role of technology. He has won industry and best paper awards and won multiple research grants, $6.7 million individually, plus is a named researcher on a $102 million national science challenge. He is a fellow of the Royal Society of New Zealand, Te Aparangi, and is the newly appointed co-chair Māori Business and Economics PRBF panel. He has over 465 refereed outputs, including 145 journal articles, and has given over 90 keynotes invited presentations. He is a frequent media commentator, including over 50 TV appearances, and is ranked in the Alcivia World Top 2% of Scientists Worldwide and second in New Zealand through his business and management subfield. Those are some serious credentials. Probably why I was a little bit nervous. But ultimately, Jared is so passionate at heart about what he does and why he does it. And I'm really excited about this conversation and I hope it illuminates so much for you around this topic of burnout and how you can start to take control and hopefully minimize your own experience or on the pathway to burnout. So I hope you enjoy the episode and as always, let us know what you think. Oh, hello, Jared. It's so nice to see you. I, as I was saying before we hit record, I'm a little bit nervous. This is the first time we've spoken in a long time. You were my professor at uni, one of my faves. Um, business research, was it business research? Yeah, paper? business research methods. Yes, yes. Year. <laughs> Waikato Uni, shout out. Yeah, shout out Waikato. 
definitely one of my favorite papers. I loved your energy, how you taught it, what you brought um, brought to it. So I'm really excited to have you on here and just talk about the work you've done over the last probably 10 years, I would say, long time. And yeah, I'm just really excited to get your wisdom and also just to talk about burnout, the impact that we're under right now and how psychological safety plays into that, because I think that that would be really awesome to talk about. So to get us started, can you tell us about yourself, Jared? Who are you? What's your main focus of work right now? And what purpose and impact are you here to have? Kia ora, everybody. So, um, so actually, let me just do a quick intro. So, ko tanui te waka, ko nati mani apotu me nati mahuta na iwi, ko Jared Hartu, ko ingoa. Uh, so, I have had the pleasure of finishing my PhD 20 years ago. Old. Um, yeah. And I have yeah. been a professor <laughs> for like, I was working this out. I think I've been a professor for 11 years. So I've been a professor longer than than any other part of my academic career which is pretty cool. So I'm, I'm very much interested in my role as an academic, uh, and it really has changed since COVID, I, I have to say, um, really positively. I guess when I first started, I was just, you know, when you start in your career, you're trying to get yourself grounded and figure out stuff, and you learn the process and the game. And then as a professor, it's it's both a little bit easier and then you got a little bit more pressure, but then COVID struck, right? And if there's one thing, um, one thing we were interested in was some scientific evidence behind how people were coping, for example. Now, I do all of my research on uh, the workplace, predominantly employees, but I do do some on organizations and businesses, Maori businesses. I do a lot of research on Māori and spe specifically around, um, you know, Māori identity at work and Māori cultural values in the workplace and Māori HRM and things like that. But one thing that really struck me with COVID was just this real need for some insights. And I happened to be, uh, I was lucky, actually, the first lockdown I was collecting data and I was able to uh, do a study of kind of pre-COVID, during COVID, after COVID, and kind of have things out of there. And I got lots of um, useful media attention. Um, and I guess that's really kind of shaped the purpose for the work I do is trying to do I guess useful research that is important to business and 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 society at large, right? Um, and by that, for example, when I talk about burnout, which I guess we will a bit later on, um, I like to remind employees that you know your your number one person to look after you is yourself. It isn't the organisation. And my data would definitely support that. And so reminding workers that hey, if you're tired and cranky and forgetful. Yeah, you are burning out, uh, and that's terrible, and it's really bad, and you need to do something about it rather than go, oh, gosh, damn, I can't get out of bed today, you know, and you've you've crashed, basically, you've fallen off the wall. And, and also trying to feed that back into businesses so they're more cognizant and more aware. And we have seen this kind of growth around the importance of psychological safety, which I think is great, but also trying to provide that evidence base around everything. So I guess my my purpose and impact I'm trying to do is have for workers and, and businesses, predominantly HR managers, because that's kind of my background and, and who I often talk to, but also CEO. And I've talked about like hybrid work. I did something to CEOs last year and and the CFOs and, and those kind of audiences where I'm trying to get the, the evidence. Uh, do I have a barrow to push? Typically not. I, I try to say, hey, this is what the evidence shows, right? And and guess what? Hybrid work kind of rules. Or it's not as bad as, as working in the office all the time. And, and I've had managers say to me, shut up, I don't want to know that. And I'm just like, yeah, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just delivering the message. I do think one thing I've got out of COVID is it's really made me sharpen my focus. I still do all my academic thing. I get asked to talk lots more now at conferences and to groups. 
always trying to make an impact and do something useful and insightful, but also evidence-based. So I'm all about evidence, uh, predominantly my own evidence that I that I do. So I do this well-being at work survey, which I think I am on my my tenth or twelfth iteration, wow. something like that. Um, which is which is not bad for a financially challenged. Uh, three years of academia. So, because each one of these things is a thousand workers and costs at least ten thousand dollars each one. So, wow. so you've got to be uh, useful, right? That, that's kind of my angle. So, that's me. Um, one thing I like doing though is I like trying to add something new each time. I did racism or perceived discrimination in the workplace last time and that went off and I was like oh gosh okay there's a lot of interest in this and I've done bullying and I've had quite a bit of attention around that as well um, and this one I'm just collecting data now has racism bullying and sexual harassment in there wow be a big one I can give a sneak preview. Thankfully, the sexual harassment numbers uh, are way lower than those other ones. So I kind of feel like, you know, because I was just thinking, dear gosh, if they're all like 60% or more, I'd just be like, oh, far out, the workplace sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not so bad on the sexual harassment. You know, and let's be honest, we're like 0%, but it's not, but it's a lot less. But the other ones, the racism and the bullying are still really high. Um, mm. So we've got kind of big things out there. I, can, I can't go and fix all the workplaces, but I could definitely make companies go, hey, this thing goes on a lot here. Your minority employees really suffer. Um, you need to do something about it and, and then hope that they'll do something. And, and I've been contacted by CEOs and HR managers. So there are some people listening and making change. So I think that's a cool thing. That's amazing. And it's, I mean, we need the data, right? Like so often, and I mean, I come from an HR background, worked in corporate HR for over 10 years. And it's so interesting because it's like, well, where's the data to support this decision you're about to make? And then you give them the data and they're like, oh, but is that enough? Is that accurate? And it's like, well, what do you want? Do you want the data to help inform this decision? Or do you not want to actually see the data because you don't actually just want to make the decision in the first place? And um, I Your came across- it doesn't support the decision I want to make, so I'm not interested in that data. Can you give exactly. me the other data? Exactly. <laughs> I actually came across the term when I was doing some research, doing some reading a few months ago, FOFO, Fear of Finding Out. It's like, It was found, um, it was actually created in the medical community of people not wanting to go and get a diagnosis or go, wanting to go to the doctor because of an ailment because they're scared of what they might be told. And they've uh, researchers have actually found that that, also happens in the workplace of people don't want to go looking because they don't want to actually find out what's wrong. And this is almost essentially like what you were saying, just that point you made around, oh, we don't want the data. We don't we don't want you to be saying that these things are happening in the workplace because it's like, oh, but then I have to do something about it. And I guess that's where, you know, the kind of the point that we're getting to now, we're getting to this tipping point where we know that these things are happening. We know that burnout is prevalent. And the data is only stacking up more and more with that. So what are you seeing? Like, what is the data showing you? What are the, like, it, based on your research, how are you defining burnout? So this is something we had a quick talk about before we hit record. And you said it can be a pet peeve and an irk for you. So let's actually just start there. Like, first of all, let's just define burnout in terms of how you see it and what you see in the research. And then let's go from there. Yeah, so it is a pet peeve because recently in the last few months, uh, a, a national, uh, sorry, an international study came out, asked 9,000 employees, so lots of people, you know, 58% of the global workforce uh, has experienced burnout and straight away I was like, "Shit, really? And they said, oh, New Zealand was the highest at 70 something percent, 78%. And I was just like, hmm. Wow. very suspicious so i go and do what every good academic should do is i go find the report i look at the question and it asks one question have you felt burnt out in the last 12 months yes said 78 percent. that's the only question the New Zealand workforce right that's the only question now what do you mean by burnout it's a sure heck of a good way to start and they didn't do that at all so to me, in all honesty, totally worthless, that that data. It's just like garbage. Um, you know, and, and other ones I've seen, 50% of medical professionals are burnt out. And I say, if they were, the death rates in hospitals would skyrocket uh, and we would know it because it links to, to performance. We do know that for sure. Um, 
And that's and I've got evidence to show medical professionals are more likely to burn out than than the general population. So so I'm on their side. The data supports them, but it's probably not 50%, for example. So the burnout I use is the burnout assessment tool by a group in Europe, and it has four dimensions. So you have to score these four things. I can give you a, a, a few slides or a resource oh, on this later uh, for, for you to post as well with this. So emotional exhaustion. If you wake up, so I feel exceptionally tired and exhausted. And, and the example I use is if you wake up and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so tired. You know, that's a good indication. If it's one day a month, that's that's not burnout, right? But if every day, the end of the week, you're like, wow, Friday, I'm exhausted in the morning. And it's and I notice it's all week. Um, that is a good indication that your exhaustion levels are, are massively out of whack. The other three dimensions, um, mental distancing. I, I don't I doubt the significance of the work I do. I don't really care. I just don't think anybody cares what I'm doing. Between you and I, we don't want a surgeon, right? Inside our body going, actually, I doubt the significance of what I'm doing, right? Especially if you're if you're the patient and you're awake. Hey, back, back down there. Come on, stop dreaming. Um so that's kind of the second one. The other two are uh, cognitive impairment. So you start having memory problems. What is that? Right, if the surgeon looks inside, I'm picking on surgeons here, but they're kind of a funny group. Um, well, they work well for my examples. What is that big thing that keeps pumping away there? And why I can't does it keep it. pumping? It's very I annoying. Yeah. <laughs> it stopped pumping. Is that bad? Um, you know, so cognitive impairment, an example I've heard is somebody describing their laptop and a, and a circle thing of plastic that their hand goes on. And I was listening to them going, what? And she said, I couldn't figure out how to use it. And, and she was describing a mouse, didn't know how to use the mouse all of a sudden. Uh, and the last one is emotional impairment. So this is where people can't control their emotions. So, you know, we would like to think most people aren't angry at work. So if somebody who's normally very controlled starts screaming in anger one day, if it's one day of the year and it turns out that they're going through a messy divorce, that makes sense, right? But if uh, if Jared's blowing his top every, you know, every morning for no reason, then you start going, wow, something's going on there. Um, I heard an example of a nurse in Christchurch saying, I pull up to the car park, I cry for 15 minutes, I whip out a tissue, dry my eyes, put my makeup on and go to work. And I was just like, yeah, you kind of got it under control, but that's not a natural part of work to have a good 15-minute weep. And this is about the condition she's going into. So those things in combination all together are what we would capture as job burnout. The good news is if you wake up and you're tired and exhausted and you don't have any of, you know, I, I like what I do, I know it's important, I haven't forgotten anything and my emotions are in check, congratulations, you are on your way to being exhausted. But that's easy. Just take a couple of weeks holiday. I'm looking out my window at the grey clouds here. Go find somewhere sunny uh, if you can. And you can recharge. If you burn out, fully burn out, you are like, it's a two to three month process to recover. So we want to avoid that as possible. And what I do from those, uh, from the literature tells us that if across those four factors, there is a threshold that if you cross that line, you are now into the high, sorry, the severe burnout or the high burnt out risk category. And I've been mapping that in New Zealand since, um, COVID time. So I had a I had a I had a group of managers only in February, but since May, I kind of went May, December, April, November, December, May 2022. Um, and I've been calculating that rate. And and so into COVID, it was 17% of the workforce, then it went up to 27%, and then it went to 30% in April 2021. And between the two of us, I was like, jeez, that is kind of freaking crazy and then in november 2021 it hit the top 43 percent and strangely yeah strangely enough i did look around me and i was like dear gosh every this is when we'd had the third lockdown in auckland or something and everybody i knew was just like oh and they did look like they were burning out and i was like dear 
gosh, I hope, I hope come summer that people get a chance to relax. May 2022, it did drop to about 30%. But in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, um, a healthy rate would be maybe 8%. Right, wow. so I'm going. Yay! We've dropped to twenty nine point nine percent. That that is not anything to celebrate. October last year, it went to twenty six. December twenty two point nine, and the most recent data this year in in June twenty twenty three, twenty two percent, which is still like over one in five, right? Wow. Um, and I would genuinely say one in. One in 11, one in 12 might have been the norm pre-COVID. That might be my 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 academic guesstimate because I haven't seen New Zealand data. Um, so I do think we are still, and, and I think part of the problem is for a lot of people, you just keep working through. Mm. You get a respite for a couple of weeks over typically the summer holidays for us here in New Zealand, not for all workers, obviously, Um but I do think we're just still pounding the pavement, you know, one in, over one in five. Now, those rates, the, the important thing here, those rates are always higher for managers. Managers are always more likely to be burnt out than workers, uh, than employees, because they just shoulder the responsibility. So, you know, I guess that's, that's what the evidence tells me. And, and so the other thing is, if you do, if you're in that burnt out category, so you say, hey, Jared, I'm, I, I guess I am in that high burnt out risk group. Sounds like a bugger, but I am. Well, how bad is it really? Well, your chances of high depression and anxiety are anywhere from like 10 times higher to 20 times higher. Mm. You're much less likely to be happy. You know, you're much more likely to consider quitting your job, for example, uh, you're less likely to perform well. So there are no winners for being burnt out. And it is something I really like to get people to pay attention to, to say. And I've given a talk to somebody um, and I was on at one side of the room and the other person I was presenting with noticed some woman crying while I was describing those four, yeah, you guessed it, those four things. And then in the break, she said, oh, when he's described those four things, I went, yeah, that's me. I have all of those. Oh, crap, I'm burnt out. And she started crying. Thankfully, we were able to comfort her, send her off to a doctor, and she did get diagnosed and then started to get some professional help, um, which did remind me that you can have an impact on somebody in the, in the flesh, uh, so to speak. And sometimes it's just like that awareness, right? Oh, shit, that's what I've been experiencing. Oh, bugger. Yeah, and when you're in it, you can't see it. Yeah, because yeah. you're just so, like, as you say, like, you're pounding the pavement. Like, you're just going through another day. Like, when you were describing those four things, and I was like, oh, my God, that's like the first year of parenthood. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> I've always burned out in my first year of parenthood. Wow, you know what? It, it, it won't be just the first year. You know, it gets over, you do get over the hump, and then then you get into the teenage years. Yeah. And then good luck. Good luck. Yeah. Some will be winners, and, and some will challenge you. Um you know, so that so those are the things to watch out for. And I guess my, you know, the the strangest thing for me, workload is always a critical factor in in burnt out. You know, being burnt out, that burnt out risk. So getting in that twenty two percent at the moment. But loneliness is right up there all the way through. I've been collecting data on loneliness um, quite by accident. I have to say, I was looking at some early. So this is right back in like February, and I went, ah, oh, loneliness. Ah. Do people feel lonely at work? You know, because I've never studied it before. I'd never seen New Zealand data, um, or not a lot of it. I kind of went, oh, let me just throw this in. It has been the kind of, if you are, you know, if you feel, if you do feel lonely at work, and remember, you could work with a whole bunch of people and feel lonely because they mm -hmm. just feel left out and ostracized. You know, your, your risk rate on this June 2023 data, you're five times more likely to be in that burnt out category um, if you feel lonely. Wow. Which does, you know, which which makes me think from an HR perspective, you know, how many times do we think about whether workers feel lonely? Um, you know, so I think it is a challenge there. And ironically, the, you know, psychological safety, good supportive workplaces, those play um, a key role, but they are far 
less important than the damaging side of workload and mm. loneliness, right? So I could work for a high, you know, if you're in a highly psychological safety workplace, what happens there is that they do manage workload. So they go, hey, Tash, you're looking a bit tight. Yeah, I've just finished that massive thing. Okay, let's 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 take that next project away for another week. Just get your paperwork. Oh, okay, thanks. Gives you a chance to recover, right? So you're you're you keep working, but you've managed the situation. Whereas a company that doesn't care about psychological safety or being supportive just you know keeps loading you up. And that is one of the criticisms I do have of New Zealand workplaces. I think there is a lot of interest in rewarding um, productive people with more work. And I do think that's just critically um, detrimental, right? Because in the end, what happens? The, the productive person uh, burns out. They are no longer productive. And what typically happens is organizations go, oh, well, so do you need like a week's holiday? No, I actually need three months. And I need to go visit the, a psychologist to, to kind of get me to have new habits. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't have you not working for three months. And this is where the actual lack of psychological safety gets actualized, right? And you're like, you know, what typically people say, and I say to them, look, if you want to quit your job, that might be the best thing for you, right? But the other drivers beyond loneliness and workload, um, these little buggers, right? Oh, yeah, oh, phones. <laughs> you know, smartphones, smart devices. If you work on those after hours and family time, yeah, you know, your odds of burning out go up about four or five times all the time. That's, that's a prevalent factor. And it's just about, you know, the inability to switch off. Mm. And this is why early, my early research last year found those working from home five days a week had the worst burnout um, because they couldn't disconnect. But interestingly, in the last um, six months, I've, I've seen that kind of shift in those five-day-a-week working-from-home people are no longer a, a risk category. I think they have learned, right? They've learned, she's I've really got to learn to disconnect from. And if you think about it, whoever knew anybody worked five days a week, you know, oh, I've got a job, I work five days a week from home, I never go into the office. Who knew? I mean, my data shows, and and the recent data this month, this, so what's that? June twenty twenty three, eight percent. In December last year, it was like seven point two percent. So it's staying kind of. There's this big chunk of the workforce now permanently working from home. We've got about sixty percent permanently in the office five days a week, and roughly that kind of thirty percent doing some kind of hybrid work. So we've had massive changes. Um, but I do think we're still wearing this whole COVID um, weight on us and we haven't been kind of able to break it out. Maybe this year, you know, with with more international travel, et cetera, except, you know, I say, oh, international travel, that sounds wonderful, except we've got a cost of living crisis yeah. going on, right? Who can afford to go overseas? Well, not the you know not a lot of New Zealand workers actually because you know I I may have had a pay rise and and if I was on minimum wage I might have had some regular increases but rent's gone up petrol's gone up food's gone up everything's gone up uh, I have no money to go to Australia you know all my suggestion earlier I can't go to Fiji for a week to recover and and so I'm I'm cognizant of that as well it, it's it's and it is tough out there I've started including financial stress. Yeah, of workers into my data because I'm just curious to think what effect does this have? And you know, surprise, surprise, it does have an effect. It's not necessarily a good thing. It can undermine good things from organisations as well. And and maybe just my last point on the burnout. You know, going back to my earlier comment, it's really important for workers to realise that they're the most important one. If, you're, if your significant other, for example, is saying, hey, I'm just noticing a few things and we do need to communicate this more, right? We need to say, hey, you are making um, mistakes all the time and you seem to forget everything that we talked about, you know, and, and that's not being critical. That's actually saying, hey, it's a warning sign around burnout. You need to go see the GP or something or a psychologist, maybe the GP to start with, uh, if you can get in. And it's not a virtual one or something like mm. that. Um, you know, so so I think we need to not only look after ourselves, but we need to look out 
for others. And the other thing I should mention on the burnout, I did an experiment where I had my big fancy 23-item burnout scale. I did all my calculations. And right at the end of the survey, like five minutes later, I had a definition of burnout, which is what I talked about. Is this highly representative of you? Somewhat? Absolutely not type thing. And I found that basically a third of the Kiwi workforce were good at determining that they were burnt out or not, or they weren't burnt out or not. But two thirds weren't. And I was just like, you know, I had somebody who was like totally burnt out. All of those things were through the roof. You know, are you burnt out? No, I absolutely am not. Would have been, if I could physically talk to them, that's what they would have said. And they probably would have said it in that way because they would have been exhausted and grumpy mm. and emotional. And I was just like, crap, you guys can't. You know, and this is why we need more sophisticated tools. And that's not to it's not to be a wank wank academic and go, oh, we've got to have these legitimate tools. If if something simple worked, I'd be saying, Yeah, let's ask mm. that question. There isn't a simple question. You do need to dig a lot deeper. Um, and people aren't the best, um, you know, aren't that good at recognizing whether they're burnt out or not. So you do, you know, so if you have a friend, and I had a friend, I, I was presenting this stuff and he came to my presentation and he was like, bro, I don't think I'm burnt out, but what's the what's the next level before that? And I said, ah, oh, smoldering. You know, you're, you're starting to smolder, right? You're getting close to being burnt out. I use a burnt toast analogy. Love if it. you're in that burnt out risk, you're, you're the black burnt piece of toast. This one is, there's a bit of smoke coming out of the toaster. Great time to pop the toast and have a have a break. Even if, you know, I can't, I don't have any sick leave or, or holiday leave, you need to take the foot off the accelerator at work. And it's just recognizing that not everybody is particularly skilled at identifying this themselves. In which case, you know, is it HR's job? So, I yeah. don't know if we have any HR companies that have enough people to go around going, I sat in a meeting with Jared and I saw him crying and he's really acting quite strange and I, I'm going to go and have a quiet word with him. I, I doubt that would happen, but my immediate manager should be looking, you know, I'd, I'd encourage managers to tap staff on the shoulder and say, Hey, I know, I think you're not all right. Let's not go. Are you okay? Hey, I'm fine. Everybody lies, right? Oh no, I'm great. You know, I should say, actually, you look really tired. How about I could spare Friday off? Would you like a long weekend? Go and have a break. Oh, she's yeah, that'd be great. And then get people to, you know, leave, you know, don't open up the work computer. Don't do any work. And those, I think those are all the things we have so many distractions on us today. Um, and it, and maybe we've relied on those during COVID. And even though the COVID pressures have gone, those bad habits have remained. And so we're we're stuck a little bit more in these outrageous levels where I where I really I mean, I can't wait. As soon as I get those that level down to like 10%, I'll be dancing a jig. I, I genuinely will. But we're still massive away. Yeah, it's an interesting one because like the the first episode actually of the podcast that I talk about is thriving in the hardest era of work because I genuinely think we are in the hardest era of work for two reasons that I explained there. First, it's like we're so hyper-connected. It's that attachment to the phone. Like there is no distinct line anymore between what it means to be working and what it means not to be working. You know, we don't have the luxury of you know, people having to call us on a landline and that, you know, and wait till we get home to to get a phone call or to get a message i was just looking at the the turnover data even though there are recessionary well where it's in a technical recession we've got layoffs happening there's still like large large amounts of the workforce that are don't have enough labor in so we still have a tight labor market um somewhat counterintuitive i think to a recession um, but it just may be the new the new normal we're in, which is abnormal. My data shows that people are still considering quitting at, at quite decent levels, which makes me think, geez, it's still, you know, I don't see the workforce on average contracting and being, you know, oh, no, I'm not going to quit my job. I, there's still tons of people going, yep, if a good opportunity comes along, I'm gone. Well, this is like an interesting thing. So one of the controversial things that I talk about with my clients and that kind of gets a lot of feedback when I share it publicly is 
I don't believe it's jobs that cause burnout. It's our lack of boundaries with our jobs that cause burnout. So what I have seen is people be like, oh, I'll just get another job. Then I, I won't be as burnt out. But the other job still has a big workload. It still has, you know, a lot of, it's still requiring a lot of you. You know, it's like, we've got that honeymoon phase at any new job where it's like, yeah, this is amazing. And you kind of get into the grunt of like being in a job. And unless those boundaries are in place of what you were talking about, like, actually switching off like actually not tapping into your phone not looking at your emails on the weekends when you're meant to be with your family like actually taking leave actually taking your breaks that you are entitled to you literally get three entitlement breaks every single day by law like we if we don't honor that and this comes back to what you were saying like it is your responsibility as an individual to be honoring yourself in the first place and yes the organization has a responsibility for its people but ultimately, the organization is there to make money. The organization is there to still deliver. It's still there to create results. And it will use its people to do that. And so as an individual, how are you enforcing the boundaries that you need to in order to reduce your chance of burning out, but also to protect your well-being? And I guess this comes back to the psychological safety. I know we've spoken about it before, but for, for people who may not know that term it's the ability to speak up and ability to tell your organization or your manager that you're struggling or that things aren't working or that there's a problem or to raise complaints it's the safety to be able to do that and like what we were saying before we hit record was my observation is burnout is increasing because as also a result of people's inability to kind of have those boundaries in place and enforce them, but also the lack of psychological safety where people can say, hey, I'm not doing okay. Hey, I'm really struggling in my job. Hey, the workload is just too much. I'm not getting there. You know, I need time away. I need time off. I need you to take things away from me. And they don't feel safe to do that because the repercussions that could come from that. I don't get promoted. I don't get the pay rise. I could be performance managed, you know, all of those aspects. What, like, do you, do you see that in the research? Like that's, that's oh, yeah, my sure. 10 years I, of experience. But... And I heard somebody on Talkback yesterday say, my manager got physically injured and I took over their job plus my job, did, exact, did their job for four months, raised exactly the issues you were talking about with the leadership. And they went, yeah, well, hurry up and keep working. Yeah, like, what do you want us to do about it? There's no money. And then she, you know, she must have been burning out and she said, oh, and then I quit. And I went, good on you. You know, and, and I was thinking, you know, and unfortunately, and it was, uh, she was bagging them. They were an Australian company, so that's safe. We can bag them on here. Um, you know, most companies don't really care about you, right? Unfortunately, that's the kind of brutal honesty. We, you know, they should, and and good employers, good managers in particular, right? Good this, leaders, I would say. <laughs> yeah, leaders are really, really key on this one. I, in my last job, I've never had, I had both my manager and my big boss frequently say to me, ah, oh, you know, mate, are you looking after yourself? I don't want you burning out. I don't want you working too much. And I was just like, what the heck is this kind of um, stuff? Because I support? hadn't heard that. <laughs> I haven't heard that before. And when people say, what does this look like? What does good support look like? It's about reminding your your workers to 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 not keep working hard and say, hey, you know, say, hey, I, I can't do this. It's too much. Okay. And, you know, and that, I mean, and we do, you're right, that psychological safety, we need to put our hand up and then we need the company to respond. So I guess the, you know, what does it look like for a good company? They create a climate where people can discuss issues even if it's hey i'm having a divorce and i'm i'm freaking mentally screwed up and i and i can't take on those big assignments she's okay a good performer it'll be a bad period and then and then they'll hopefully get through it that, that's easy but it's, and same with hey we've had a few people leave our team and we've just coped and coped but we can't cope any longer that's when a good manager needs to say yeah i will step up and i had people saying oh how come it takes three months to hire the replacement from when the person left you know and and a lot of organizations are, are ridiculously slow and in tight labor markets they go oh we didn't get a suitable candidate because they possibly didn't and i'm just like you know it should almost be starting as soon as that notice is coming right it should be starting right now is mm -hmm. the time because this is how we're going to be a good workplace because we're going to make sure our workers aren't 
carrying the extra can for too long. And I have done other research around that um, recently. And unfortunately, again, something that's quite prevalent for at least kind of half the workforce. People in my team have left and, the you know, the survivors have to pick up the can. Mm. And it's just this that kind of approach is definitely, you know, the opposite of a good psychological safety place. You know, it's not a safe place to work. Um, it's fine for a month, right? But when, you know, when it's three months and you go and they go, oh, yeah, we're going to market next week. And you're like, but, but it's been three months. And, and you know what happens these days? And we're still in a tight labor market. Talent leaves. Yeah. So good workers leave. And now your team is smaller again. And you just know when somebody leaves, they're not saying, hey, your team's dropped a quarter. We'll take a quarter of the workload off you. You know, managers typically shrug their shoulders and go, there's not much I can do about it. Well, we're all going to leave. And then I kind of... And that's because like it's almost that ladder effect, right? It's like, and this is what I've seen with 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 unsupportive managers, always hesitant to say bad, but, you know, it's, well, they struggle to like know how to do it because it's not being done for them. You know, like their, their one up isn't also going, hey, your team is really, you know, has reduced. How can we shift your responsibility so that you can better support your team? Like that's not being exemplified, right? Like it's not being shown that it's okay to do that. And again, it's not safe, right? Like it, it's hard for a manager to be like, hey, let's reduce our objectives for this quarter because our team's changed because my objectives haven't changed this quarter. So yeah. I, I can't change your objectives because I need you to deliver so I can deliver. We agree. I think there is a, there's a perception there too that, oh no, we do a good job. And, and I presented something, I had 150 HR managers and I was talking about, wasn't psychological safety, but it was something about good workplaces. And I said something, I said, oh, roughly about 20% of, of New Zealand workplaces are really good on this thing. All 150 heads. And I said, and I called them out and I said, you can't all be in that top 20%. And they all looked at me like, well, what do you mean? I said, like, goodness, you're all in there. You statistically, know. you can't yeah. all be. <laughs> I said, statistically speaking, you could all be, but it would be like horrendously unusual that I've managed to capture you all in this, in this one room, right? So I think that's something else we've got to be. And so now we're perhaps talking about leaders in particular. You know, you've got to mm. realize that. If you are not exemplifying those things, right, look after your own well-being, check on the manager below, um, put the manager above. If you say, hey, uh, workforce is really under the pump, yeah, nothing I can do about it. Well, we're going to lose more workers. We'll lose the talent. We'll lose the top talent. And then it's going to continue to be a bigger problem. Yeah. And the worst thing with the, you know, the top talent is top talent doesn't contribute you know, two times the human capital to productivity. They, they, you know, they provide eight times. So when they leave, productivity is going to slump and it won't recover. And I think a lot of managers just like, oh, that's not higher up ones. That's not my problem. That's your problem. Mm. You know, and if you're like, yeah, but you hamstring strung me. So I, because I can't replace staff. This is, this is the price we pay. And I think, managers leaders need to have this conversation you know we do need to push ourselves to be in that top 20 percent and as i say to people you know the bottom 20 percent are terrible but there is still this huge bulk in the middle 60 percent who do an average job and some some things that they're okay on and some things they stink on and those 20 percent i bet you they've been enjoying i mean it's been tough for all businesses but i bet you they've been performing okay and and outdoing their competitors who are stuck in that middle and the mm. bottom ones will be dropping off well it's a perpetuating cycle right well yeah and some of this is necessary right we we businesses close because they're not very efficient okay that's i can understand that um and that's a natural part of business but i don't think i think a lot of businesses have terrible climates 20%, but let's call them toxic workplaces. I've done some research on that. Actually, and the good news was, I don't think it was quite 20%. It might have been more like the 15, 16%, you know, that were ones I could look at and go, wow, workers have identified those dimensions. And it's, I mean, and part of me thought, hallelujah, it's, it's kind of low. So maybe it's a terrible 10%, a fabulous 20%, and a big bulk in the middle. The good thing is, that bulk in the middle can obviously improve, but they do need to make, I think, a lot of conscious decisions. And it's all about 
leaders and the way they shape their relationships. So I think, you know, if there's one thing I, I would say out of COVID, the importance of good leadership has really been highlighted. Mm. And I don't think leaders have had as much of pat on the back as they probably deserved. Um, when I look at the CEO pay of the top 10 CEOs, I do think, gee whiz, you buggers are certainly well paid. Oh, it's one thing I should point out too, I did the burnout rate. CEOs have a lower burnout rate than middle managers. Interesting. Why? Because when I'm the CEO, I go, my gosh, I'm Tash, I need you to do this important role for me, right? So they're able to delegate sufficiently and get a bit of a, a relapse. And it's the it's that the senior manager with the weight of the CEO and the board on their shoulders doing, mm. which I did, I mean, CEOs were burning out or they're in that risk rate, but it was much less than senior leaders. And I do think that's something to be cognizant of. There's a lot to be said about having control and autonomy and freedom in your work. Um, but again, if you're if the CEO is managing you well and saying, hey, okay, you've you've finished that project. Let's it's largely done. Let's get somebody else in there to tidy up. Oh, what am I doing then? Oh, you can go and pick up your other paperwork that I know you haven't had time to do for the last month. Hallelujah. Thank you very much. It's about keeping talent um, as fresh as it can be, right? So when the when the emergencies happen, you can actually respond. And I, I don't think we've done that. I, I mean, in all honesty, I don't think we've done that particularly well in New Zealand. And I don't think it's a New Zealand problem. I think it won't be that good in no, Australia. It's, it's, it's a worldwide problem for sure. A worldwide, and, yeah. You know, and, it, and I think like the, the key thing here, I guess, like as a prompt for leaders and also just individuals as well to back themselves here, it's like we're playing the long game, you know, like often like managers or businesses are like, they're just trying to get through the next week or the next month, especially right now, we're in a really tight market. We're in a tight place right now and we're probably going to have to ride the wave for the next six to 12 months. And I think from what I'm seeing, a lot of businesses are just a very short focus right now, very short-term focus, layoffs, this, that, the next thing, you know, because we need to like, put, you know, strap the purse strings or whatever the saying is. But this is only going to create a long-term problem because yes, we're cutting money right now, but the work isn't cutting, right? So it's like, so we're creating now, with the decisions we're making now as managers and leaders, we're creating burnout in three, six, 12 months' time. Because this is like coming back to what you were saying, burnout isn't what happens tomorrow. It's the compounding effect of the no sleep or, you know, the long work hours, the long commutes, the, you know, the not speaking up, the not, and we didn't even get into the hybrid work the hybrid work talking and that's something that I definitely want to talk to you about around you know actually leading in a way that is individualistic you know like what actually helps people to be their best because that is also going to help us decrease burnout in the long term but to come back to my point it's like we need to play the long game here because careers work business it's not about the next week or the next month yes we have to make sure we have enough money for the next month but we're going to make money because we have the people doing the work. And if we don't look after the people doing the work, we're not going to make the money. Yeah. And I think that your point there is a good one because the short-term focus, we're still in a tight labor market, right? So in the end, I go, yeah, this isn't working for me. And I'm not only am I gone, gone to your toughest competitor, who even if they offer me the same kind of gig, or the same money, or maybe a little bit more, but there's more freedom in there, or or it's got a better climate, or whatever. And I'm I'm happy and stay there. You know, organisations will lose the human capital, their their workforce talent, especially those talented workers, because they are the most easiest to move. Especially whether the you know whether the market's tight or loose, they're still the ones you don't want to lose. Um, and if you're burning out, I do think go go and find you know you're right though that sometimes I think people leave and go yes I got out of there and oh jeez this place is no better. Jump from the pan to the fire <laughs> like oh yeah or you know you jump you jump ship and then you start all those bad habits again you know like the technology thing. Um, you know I've talked about this at other different times that I do I do think organisations should actually be switching off 
um, you know, servers over the weekend and, and stuff like that, because I do think we need to change people's opinions. Unfortunately, my brother works in IT and I was on TV doing this. And then he emailed me and said, yeah, bro, it's not actually that simple. And I was like, shut up, shut up, bro. I don't need, I don't need your actual knowledge of yeah. this. <laughs> I said, just because you happen to actually know how easy that could be. And he was like, oh, it's not quite as, you know, especially if it's an international. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Okay. But I guess like there's never a black and white answer, right? Like there isn't ever going to be the easy, you know, the easy way around it. But what are the other things that we're putting in place? What what country is it where it's actually illegal to email your staff over the weekend or like email after hours? France France. and Portugal. Yeah, like it's actually illegal. So so something like 6 6 p.m. on a Friday to 6 a.m. on a Monday. I, I can't email, text or phone unless... I'm on call and or it's a critical emergency. And and like that first COVID lockdown, right? My boss did, I'm sure she called all of us on, on the on a Saturday or whatever, because it was a, an emergency. And it was like, oh my gosh, we've been told this might happen. Um, so those things make total sense, right? But if your boss, I mean, I heard from somebody saying they quit their job because they're boss emailed them at eight o'clock and said you haven't responded to my email i sent you at 5 30 a.m and they were like i don't start work till 8 30 and why do you keep freaking doing this to me and the manager was just like i need you to do my and then in the end they went stuff this found another job yeah. left and i was thinking like yeah that is not the way to to motivate staff especially abusing somebody hey before you've started work you haven't responded to my earlier you know if somebody said to me, hey, I pay you an extra 10K to be on call, then you'd say, okay, you've made an agreement there. Yeah, like what's the exchange here? What's the what's the energy yeah. exchange for what you're asking of me? Yeah. And so often that's not even an expectation. It's just, great, you you work at 5 a.m. I do not work at 5 a.m. Yeah. Because I'm still sleeping at <laughs> 5 a.m. As, as as a lot of people should be, I have to say. Yeah, I'm not I'm not part of the five AM club, and that is for sure. You don't want to know. I I am unfortunately. Oh, that that's all good. I I'm all about whatever works for everyone. Right now, in oh this, yeah, me too. In this season of life, if Jake is still sleeping, I am still sleeping. That is yeah. that that's the rule for us. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a you know, and and I think this is the thing with hybrid work, right? Because people say to me, you know, oh, should we offer hybrid work? Yeah, sure. Oh my gosh, really? I go like, offer it. Be aware that some people don't want it. What? So yeah, I worked with a guy. I used to work with a guy. He was always in the office. And I said to him, I noticed that even when you're not supposed to be in the office, you're here. And he'd say to me, I can't work at home. My wife will say to me, can you do the gutters? The hitch needs trimming. (laughs) And he was just like, I'm trying to do something far out. And then then he just wouldn't work from home. And I was like, because he, he sorted it out for him. Me, I love working from home because I get so much done because uh, I don't get distracted. And when I go to work, I go to work to be social and distracted yeah, and do so very me. little work because I go, hey, what's up? Let's have a meeting. Let's have coffee because I love coffee to drink coffee. What a great way to mix, to socialize, find out what people are doing. Um, if I can burgle a a little bit of work in there, fabulous. But typically I'll go, okay, it's early in the afternoon. Now I'll go home and then I'll I'll do some work mm-hmm. then. That's how I do it. Um, but I'll, I also wake early and I work and then I'll go and get ready and drive into work. And because academics have um, a lot of freedom, you you know, I don't have to join a commute, right? I don't have to, I have to leave at six in the morning to get to, you know, I can leave at nine o'clock after the traffic's gone. I'm on my work email. If anybody contacts me, mm. I respond straight away because this is, it's kind of a natural work time. Um, so, but I think, you know, and it, it's the people who don't want to come to work. Oh, that's the other argument I've had. People, you know, managers have said, oh, I have workers who, who don't do any work at home. And I say to them, I can almost guarantee you that that worker is, if they are doing no work at home, they're doing no work in the office. Oh, no, in the office. In the office, they're really busy. Uh, and I said, they're doing stuff in the office, but they're not doing any work, right? Um, you know, you need to bring a performance or a, a productivity focus into what you do. Oh, I what I didn't talk about when we talk about purpose and impact. I did that research on the four-day week 
as well, which is cool, you know, which is about less time, same money, but it's about being productive. Get get your productivity done in 80% of the time for 100% of the pay. Um, you know, and I think that's a great way to, you know, you could apply that to hybrid working or, or, or work in general, right? It should be about this is the work expectations. But it's like people aren't doing stuff because there's no clarity. That's it, right? Like people yeah. aren't working yeah. and, and delivering because there's no clarity or there's no engagement to what they're doing. Somebody said to me, hey, I, I really want to go to Fiji and work for all of August. You know, your first thought should be, is that person in a critical front-facing role? No. Okay, what would you normally do in August? Well, I've got this accounts to do and I'd write this report and I'd do this and do that. Do you think you can do all of those things? My expectations have to be the same, right? Because you're not taking holiday. You want to work from Fiji. Yeah, I've got family there or whatever. There it is. End of August, I go, she, she, he or she did all the work um, yeah. that I expected of them. I shouldn't be worried. I should be a little bit envious, right? I should be going to my boss saying, hey, I really need to go to Fiji for a week to catch up on the workforce uh, <laughs> in the lagoon. Um Albeit that I still have to do my job if that's where I'm going. And, and I've said that to CEOs and I see them kind of exasperated, like, I can't believe you're suggesting this. And I'm going, it's just around productivity. If I'm doing my job, why does it matter? Where that you I'm doing now, it. Yeah. If you never see me for the whole year, I, I would say it's kind of hard to think of Jared as an organizational citizen because I never see him and being on a Zoom or a team meeting isn't quite the same. And I've got no problem with that. But if your top talent goes, uh, I've got a, you know, my friend's getting married in Italy. I want to take a couple of weeks leave. And then I want to stay and work there and do a bit of traveling for a month. I'd just be saying, sure, you're the talent. I want you to stay working for me. Let's make it work. And let's say that it's a disaster and it doesn't work. Then you'd say, hey, you need to come back in the office and we have a conversation because I've been quite disappointed in your progress. And they might say, yeah, well, I fell in love with yeah. an Italian girl and I'm changing <laughs> Things my life. Things have happened. <laughs> you know, the important thing is you say, great, bring her back. We want to meet her or him and, come back and to work. stay working for us, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm the boss who lets you have a have the best freedom and i think that is something that's changed um i had data from my last survey about 55 percent of the workforce have re-evaluated what work means in covid mm. and a lot of it is i need to spend more time with family and friends i need to do less work i need to do less typically unpaid overtime those kind of things and i i personally think hallelujah that that's good for that burnout rate even though i'm not quite seeing the the big drops yet but it will come i hope but it will, it will, right? Like, and I mean, even I, I kept getting to that smoldering stage. You know, I didn't fully hit full burnt out, <laughs> fiery black toast. I definitely didn't never, never hit that. But when I left and I connected to a deeper purpose and I do the work that I have now, yes, I've gotten overwhelmed. Yes, I've gotten tired. Yes, I have blurred the lines one too many times, but I have never gone burnt like full burnout again because my impact and my purpose is more connected and the biggest work I've done is my boundaries you know my boundaries around my business hours and when I do or don't work because I do work from home full-time but again it's like yes absolutely workplace culture workplace leadership workplace values has a huge impact on burnout culture on employee well-being however the ultimate responsibility is the employee are they setting the boundaries are they protecting their own well-being are they living in alignment with the things that they are saying that is important living in alignment with their values and choosing organizations that also value that because there are absolutely incredible organizations who are doing good by their people who are really living into true values who are about supporting boundaries and then there are workplaces that are unhealthy and toxic who take advantage and you know and there are people who can thrive who can work in those environments but if you are not one of them it's your responsibility to step up to that reflect on that and go what are the decisions I need to make you know and sometimes you can't just leave there are other factors in play that just quitting you know <laughs> isn't isn't necessarily the answer or not necessarily the simple answer that they can jump to but 
you know, coming back to those, those, those things. So to kind of wrap up this episode, Jared, could you just go through the four points again for burnout, just like, so that people know like, Hey, maybe, wow, I actually have a bit of this, or I'm going to pay more attention to whether this is showing up for me. And then just a couple of other tips, um, for people that they can really just take away right now and make some moves with. So, um, exhaustion if you wake up feeling knackered you know that's more likely to be the first stage of burnout if you're if you're tired at the end of the day it's called work that's not uncommon exercise eat well sleep sleep well wake up be refreshed you might be you know if this is a consistent thing you're you're tired all the time then that's a problem a mental distancing you doubt the significance of the work you do or you start talking about your work or job in a really cynical way and maybe your friends or significant other go man you're really cynical and and that's a good warning sign right because that's not a that's not a, a good thing um Mental impairment, so memory problems, cognitive problems. Surprise, surprise, kind of hard to pick up, right? I can't remember. What is it, that thing that I'm supposed to remember? Um, so that, so not being lonely and having a network of friends and whanau to, to pick up those things is important. And then the last one would be emotional impairment. Can't control your emotions. Crying, anger. Um, anything that's out of the ordinary once in a blue moon sure that's called human nature Um, every couple of days is a problem Um, and how do we address those things you know watch the workload sometimes it's hard to manage work hours you know sometimes you got to say okay it's time to stop exercise you know and remember and i'll be and i won't be you must go to the gym every morning you know go, going out for a walk is way better than nothing yeah i just say even five minutes like just move the body in some yep. way and and going back to the comment you made earlier about you know failing to take breaks walk out of the building go and have lunch pick up a sandwich walk with a colleague especially a colleague who you know Never seems to talk to too many people because they might be lonely and you can you can help help somebody else out as well, right? Or the colleague that literally will just sit on emails for eight hours and not take a break. Like that's the person you need to have an accountability yeah. buddy with. Yeah. You need to say, hey, I'm going to go grab a coffee. You want to come? Oh, can you get me a no? No, you've got to come. I want you to come out of here with me. And it's healthy for you too. So having a break, watch the le- workload. Uh, once... An evening on the email uh, is, I'll be honest, is okay. But we shouldn't be doing more than that, right? If you've got to be on it, if you're saying to your significant other, hey, hey, baby, I've just got this one important thing, and sometimes we do have important things. But if it's night after night, if your partner says, did you like the movie? And you're like, it's a movie finished. Yeah, there, there's a problem, right? You you haven't engaged. And guess what's happening on that relationship? You know, your work relationship it might be being sustained, but your personal relationships are, are, are being filled right beside you. So you've got to switch off. You've got to learn to you know, master your own destiny. Put yourself first. And if you put yourself first, the, the funny thing is you'll actually be a better worker as well. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So it's not like you're saying, oh, no, I can't be selfish. selfish. Yeah. Be a little bit selfish because it'll help you. Well, one, one term my, my husband says, it's not being selfish, it's being selfful. You know, I'm doing the things that fill up my energy that allow me to have the ability to show up for my work, that have so that I have the ability to show up for my friends and my family. All of those things that I'm saying are important. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jared. There is so much more that we could like go into like even just the the research and everything i was like oh my god um i would love to do another episode on inclusivity for sure and like your research there and and how we can you know do more do more there or do better so thank you so much there is so much gold in here uh how can people connect with you i'm on linkedin so feel free to to read that's the only social media i rock on so uh, for kind of purposeful reasons, actually. So I think sometimes, you know, I've, I've got research on social media use for another time. Oh. Um, 
you know, and after hours isn't so bad, but but pre-work is to be avoided. Um, so I think, you know, again, it's all about keeping you connected and we need to disconnect a bit. So, or email, you can just search me um, at Massey University and you'll come up with my email address uh, and I'll provide those in the links to share type thing. Yes, anyhow. perfect. So, that will be in the show notes. Amazing. Cool. Uh, yeah, and you can, we will also link uh to some of your research as well that you've that you've talked to, especially I, I know that there will be people who will be really interested. There'll be a lot of HR people who will be listening to this podcast who will probably be very interested in what you have found uh, to hopefully help inform their strategic conversations and their strategic plans. So thank you so much, Jared. This has been amazing. It's so great to be connected with you again. And if you enjoyed the episode, make sure you let us know. I look forward to this episode being aired. So thank you so much, Jared. Great. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lead With Less, the podcast for confident professionals with me, Tash Peterson. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. As a thank you, each month, one lucky reviewer will get a 45-minute one-to-one coaching session with me where you will get the tools and strategies to lead with less burnout, overwhelm, and self-doubt. And if you know anyone who could benefit from listening to the show, then please do share this with them and help me reach as many confident professionals as possible. 